0: I hit passwords for everything. It's just like, oh my yeah. God, I just access my information? I was trying to pay my student loans and they're like, okay, you have to do this two-factor authentication and then you have to like do it through your bank. And yeah. I did all that. And then it was like, okay we have to verify you by your email and then I forgot my password for my email and then supposedly your passwords get saved on Google if you let them but every time I'm like okay let me go find my saved password they're like you didn't save this password and it's like I did though I remember the little thing popped up and it said do you want to save it and I said
1: yes Also, I found sometimes that question is literally there for two seconds and then it's gone. So by the time I want to click yes, it's not there anymore. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to ask you. I don't care about your answer. Bye.
0: (laughs) Welcome to my so-called sustainable life, a podcast where we compare our personal sustainability lives with our professional one. We share candid conversations, interview guests, and get real about the realities of working in sustainability while also working towards a more just future, all in the name of mitigating our climate anxiety. Sustainable Concordia, would like to acknowledge that my so-called sustainable life is recorded on the unceded territory of the Gehaga and the Haudenosaunee in Terjage. We are committed to listening to and collaborating with the original stewards of this land. Go to nativeland.ca to find out more about the territories we are on as Turtle Island inhabitants. we also like to acknowledge that the physical space we work out of is currently inaccessible and that we are committed to making our programming accessible for everyone in spite of this. welcome to my so-called sustainable life. My name is Paige and so Maria and I are going to start introducing ourselves starting next week because Maria is still on vacation living it up in Barcelona and they very graciously were like y'all come in on my vacation And we'll record an episode, like, if I must. And they had to step off the beach and into a tiny room and then record. But actually, they were, like, living it up. They just left today. And so by the time this episode comes out, they will be back. And we will have finished our retreat. So while we're waiting for my esteemed colleague, bestie, co-host to return, I'm inviting... My other colleague, Bestie, and now interim co-host, Duha! Hello! So this is my friend. Duha, introduce yourself. Maybe tell them, do you know your sign? What do you mean sign? Like my sign? Like I'm a Virgo? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Are you, what are you? Are you a Virgo? I
1: am a Virgo. <laughs>
0: I I just asked
1: a good question, but yes, sure. My name is Doha and I am Paige's work bestie, one of work besties. I'm the education and engagement coordinator at SC and yeah, I am definitely a Virgo. Yes.
0: I had a roommate who was a triple Virgo. Whoa. Yeah. They love to clean. And so that was, so welcome. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a retreat this weekend because another part of this podcast is to keep people up to date on what we're doing and let the students know. So we're having our first staff retreat as a team. And I'd say our team solidified around last year in September, September 2021. 20, wow. That's when Maria came and joined us. And we're a totally different team with the very different values, and it's also our twentieth year as a, an active fee levy, so we're reevaluating. Yes. Things. So we're doing retreats, and so by the time you guys listen to this, we will have you, done our. We retreat. would have
1: retreated. <laughs> yes.
0: Way way out into the woods. <laughs> so how are you feeling about it? Because one of our things too is that we had to think about what we want for the future so have you been thinking
1: no I haven't been thinking I'm excited about the retreat just because as you said it's a first time that we're doing a staff it's usually a staff and board retreat which is a little different so this is the first time it's just staff and it's just the staff in its current formation you were hired during COVID right and then Maria was hired during COVID so we haven't really had a lot of chances to be in our office and our space also, cause our space isn't that big. So we can't all of us be there at the same time sometimes.
0: So yeah. And there's loud construction noises, which <laughs> is Montreal, but like, it's insufferable. It's so bad. Yes. Like, like, okay, next item on the agenda. <laughs> transformers out there anyways yeah
1: but no honestly i'm just realizing that it's after tomorrow
0: <laughs> i know because also there was a long weekend and we also were like it's pride we it's pride month. let's just not do any <laughs> hardcore retreat. future thinking like yeah yeah, not yeah. It. <laughs> everybody go retreat and then you come back and then we'll talk about our plans our lives our futures now, what we're gonna do here today
1: is we're gonna master some vital self-care techniques. In so doing, we're gonna find ways to achieve and maintain a healthy work-like balance. Blippity? Yeah, I'm ready. But yeah, it's gonna be great, I think. We're gonna be having a lot of activities and yeah. there'll be ways to prompt these conversations to happen. And we have a great there. facilitator. Yes, shout out Meredith. I will do anything to bring up Meredith. Meredith is awesome. We love Meredith. We're happy to have Meredith facilitate for us. I think it's gonna be great.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, last week Maria and I talked about the direct-to-consumer model. Do you know about her? So there's two definitions, and I watched a YouTube video where this girl was talking about different ways as a direct to consumer model. So when you're a direct to consumer model, you are mm, foregoing the middleman. So there's no brick and mortar store. There's just warehouses with your stuff in it. They get an order, they package it and they send it to you. So I feel like in theory, it's supposed to be more environmentally friendly because you're only getting what you need. It's customizable and they're using recyclable blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's, Maybe not a sustainable model because, well, I just thought about this, but you have to have a fixed address to like access these services. So the definition for direct to consumer business model is there's no middleman. You market directly to your consumer. And on the flip side of that, there's a sustainability aspect. So a lot of companies will have sustainability initiatives launched to offset carbon emissions, for example, like Etsy will do this which is ironic, where they will have certain purchases that you can offset carbon emission. And often that means planting trees. But on the flip, flip side of that, there's no way of knowing how efficient these environmental methods are. So they could be pledging to plant 100 trees. And then because of the labor that they have, it's only 50 trees, Mm -hmm. but nobody's really checking on that and so that's another way that we're being greenwashed
1: okay and
0: so direct-to-consumer things I feel have had an uptick in popularity since the pandemic since YouTube started to take off I could see it because there's always a YouTuber promoting some very random customizable service okay. but since the pandemic specifically like good food boxes hello Fresh, mm-hmm. that's all direct-to-consumer stuff or even I have an electric toothbrush from quip and the reason why I like it is because it has it buzzes every 30 seconds to tell you to move quadrants of your mouth and I love that (laughs) and it's a rechargeable and they send you a bristle every three months with a battery it's not rechargeable they send you a battery and a bristle and they also have their own fluoride toothpaste etc and so I have that at one point even I had a underwear subscription it was called naughty knickers because I was living on the third floor which was technically six flights of stairs and the laundry was in the basement And it was the pandemic and I don't know what happened to my sciatic nerve, but it's fucked up because I tried to start running during the pandemic and I injured myself anyways. Mm. So yeah, so I had even ordered underwear at one point because I was like, (laughs) I don't know how often I'll be able to do laundry. Mm. Yeah. So I'm wondering on your end, what's your experience with like good food or HelloFresh? And Mm -hmm. is there any that you could see yourself keeping? And then also were there any barriers for you in like why you would or wouldn't use the service?
1: Yeah, so I actually I use Cookit. I haven't tried Good Food or any of those, HelloFresh or any of the others, but I use Cookit. I've been using it for probably more than six months now, consistently on a weekly basis. And Yeah, honestly, it's working out for me. It's working out for me. I order the food that I want. They have good menus, different types of foods that you can order. You can also order like how long you want to be cooking the food. So I order stuff that's like 30 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. It's just easier to cook in the workday. I have tried so much to be someone who cooks on Sunday, all the meals and then disastrous. Never worked out for me probably yeah. will never work out for me just didn't do it but yeah for me honestly i think i will probably still continue to use it for the time being because because this is the only way that i found that i'm actually able to force myself to eat something healthy to just mm-hmm. have a meal that has vegetables in it has a protein in it and i feel a lot better i have iron deficiency anemia and part of the issue was also that it was very hard for me to maintain a diet that had all these different food ingredients, because I hate cooking. I truly, with passion, I hate cooking. <laughs> it yeah. bothers me. I can't get my executive functioning to work most of the time mm-hmm. to cook anything. And then the prep for it, oh my God, like that just in my mm-hmm. head for like hours. The meal, yeah, prep, yeah, yeah. meal prep is really difficult. It's awesome. And then, and then
0: you have to you clean, to clean your stomach is full, and you're calling a cat. <laughs>
1: Exactly. And then you go grocery shopping to restore everything and then you don't have any energy after you yeah. buy all these groceries. You can't cook. So you order food. So you're wasting more
0: money. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so bad in the fridge because you're tired because exactly. you can't cook. Exactly. Yes. So honestly, actually, like, all I, issues. I went grocery shopping today thinking like, oh yeah, I'm going to save some money. But I went to Rachel Berry, the health food store. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to get like a loaf of bread and some dish soap. And then I ended up getting a bunch. I got like two packs of raspberries, some dish soap, a loaf of bread, gluten-free pretzels, and I wanna say eggs. Anyways, it cost me like 60 bucks. Wow. So that's why I hate grocery shopping. It doesn't yeah. matter how well I plan. Yeah. Oh, I also got grapefruit juice, obviously. To... Cause grapefruit juice is my favorite. But what were you doing before the pandemic? Were you ordering out a lot? Or were you cooking a lot? Or were you picking stuff up on the way home from campus?
1: I mean, I think it was a combination of cooking and sometimes ordering food, but that's also like expensive, you know? So you couldn't order food a lot. So I really had to cook for the most part which is dreadful if you don't like cooking. (laughs) It really feels like an obligation just to survive, you know? And I'm not one of those people who like cooks with love. I just want to get over this and have put something in my stomach before it
0: starts making sounds. That's it. (laughs) And honestly, the making sounds thing is so real because I will consider it a victory if I hear the sounds and then I feed myself an hour later. It's so difficult even when you're like, okay, my body's literally telling me <laughs> what it wants. The executive function is just not there sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the sheer amount of things that you have to think about. There's too many moving parts. No one gave a warning to the breaking of your heart. And I think that's why you and I are so similar and why we're work besties.
1: You mentioned earlier, like how sometimes it's hard to even track the social responsibility side of things when companies claim that Like what Etsy, for example, doing the the tree planting, like it's hard to track that, right? I was just right now, I was watching this documentary from Vice that was on the health and wellness industry, the wellness industry, specifically the U.S. wellness industry and the supply chain. And it was specifically about frankincense and, and the essential oils companies in the U.S. I think they were specifically talking about doTERRA, but other essential oil companies that also get frankincense. A lot of them get it from Somaliland. And these companies were that they built these like two big schools in two different cities or two different towns in Somaliland. And so the vice team went there and they interviewed the local people and they're looking for the schools and they couldn't find it. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. And then it was just a mess about the whole supply chain and how the people who were actually doing the harvesting from the trees, the local communities that were working on this were basically saying that the middlemen between the companies, the US-based companies, tricked them. So the communities weren't even getting paid. Some of them said they were getting paid in food, even though they were promised like five dollars per kilo or something they weren't getting paid their money there was like millions of dollars that was worth people being paid that wasn't paid it was a mess it's a very interesting documentary i I didn't know that much about
0: frankincense but yeah it does it happens a lot where the quote unquote developed world will not meet somebody on the other side to be like okay i'm bringing you this thing let me send somebody out there to make sure it actually happens
1: and the funny thing is the company this was do Terra, they send a letter back to the journalists and they were like, Oh, our team has personally gone to the schools. Like, we know they exist. <laughs> it's like, no, they don't exist.
0: Well where do we exist, girl, your mind, your your dreams. Oh my God. I know it was an interesting documentary.
1: It's very short. It's one of those short vice documentaries, but anyways it's, yeah.
0: it's just very interesting. Vice is good. Have you seen their advice's guide to North Korea? No. They go to North Korea and they're just like two white guys, and there's one scene where they're standing outside of a boat attraction or something, where you can go in and watch a movie. And the movie is about imperialist China or something, and imperialist Americans. And so they just stood outside of the theater when the showing was over, like the two white guys, and they just waited to see like what the reactions were. And all of the people that came out were just like, oh, like to these like imperialist Americans <laughs> or whatever. It's just like, hmm, <laughs> what a weird way to like frame that. And they do that with the frankincense like you said there's so many companies that just exploit the global south. so many industries i should say the chocolate okay. industry the diamond industry like these are not new to us i would say yeah the cobalt industry that's in your phone and they mine that in republic of congo yeah it's a mess we always are talking about how consumerism operates in the world but on our podcast we're sort of talking about it as like how is consumerism shaping your identity where there's like times where you can vote with your wallet Mm
1: -hmm. um, and
0: make decisions based on who you choose to support
1: there's definitely power right and on the consumer side in terms of right but that power requires mass mobilizing and mass organizing around it it's not let's assume oh like because we buy things then without any form of organization that we're going to automatically inform ourselves well and take action that is collective you know that Mm -hmm. requires that mass organizing element of it so it's yes as consumers we have power but we also need to work on making sure The stuff that we do is unified to strengthen its impact. Those industries, but on a large scale, on capitalism in general, as a system, yeah.
0: Yes, I agree with you. So I guess this makes for not that interesting of a podcast. (laughs) I (laughs) agree. But yeah, because the way that I think that we are taught to think about it as Zoomers in the first world, like it's so stupid to describe these different, nobody would call it the global north or do you?
1: Right, No, I don't.
0: So anyways, I feel like the global north, we're coining that phrase now. I feel like the global north is trained to consume as a form of identity. And then it doesn't matter where your stuff is coming from. It just matters that it is representative of something that is theoretically a part of your personality. Mm -hmm. So you could be getting a band t-shirt that you really love And you're like, I'm going to wear it. And everyone's going to know that I like Slipknot or Joy Division or whatever. Yeah. But what they will also know is that you don't care about the labor practices of your merchandise. So I want to ask you, how do you view your own consumption when you're shopping for things, when you're buying things? What's your thought process?
1: My thought process when it comes to clothing, for example, specifically is very much tied with My health. Yeah. So, because of my chronic articaria, I have to be very specific about the materials that I wear. I wear predominantly cotton stuff because it's soft on my body. Otherwise, it can irritate my skin really badly. I can't wear things that are tight, for example, or it will just be with a lot of implications if I do. Sometimes I do, but you know, my body takes a toll when I do. So, I'm usually really tied with comfort and things that work with my body regardless of they're not in fashion they're in fashion whatever but like if I don't feel comfortable wearing it I just won't
0: so gonna scale from Maria fashionista to like I don't know who in our group is like not a fashionista but me to, is it like, <laughs> okay
1: me. I'm the not fashionista of the group I believe
0: okay cool well you said it but I actually think you're stylish like I see no issue I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say you're unstylish but that's interesting so you only use certain fabrics and then do you know the difference between cotton and bt cotton no. there's like bio cotton there's like, oh, is that the, like
1: synthetic there's like engineered synthetic cotton?
0: Cotton. yeah yeah and so is that something you have to look out for or do you think like Maybe you've purchased BT cotton or like something that's 100% cotton and it's I think
1: I probably have purchased synthetic cotton before.
0: Yeah, Mm.
1: probably. But that's really interesting because I never really thought about it. Ooh, intrigue. Mama like. Like I just would say cotton. Like I, I don't think I ever try to look if this is like synthetic or real cotton 100%
0: so if you've ever put on a shirt and they were both 100% cotton but one was bt you might not necessarily get irritated
1: i'm not sure i really i would have to go check my clothes cuz i might have been wearing it and it's not irritating it might have been something that created some sort of complication i don't know i really don't think i thought about
0: that yeah and so do you ever get into a space where you just find yourself constantly buying things, constantly spending money. I mean, I feel like that's like 95% of adulthood. It's like when you're like, oh, I'm not gonna spend any money today your dog gets sick
1: yeah I get that I mainly shop at thrift stores very rarely that I would go buy something new very rarely but I think maybe shoes well, has that come. changed since shoes the pandemic is probably though? the only thing no it hasn't changed since the pandemic and shoes is the only thing that I do buy new just because I've really failed in finding shoes that are comfortable yeah so I have that problem with thrift stores a lot because in my head I'm like so happy that I'm able to buy clothes without going broke and just really struggling for the rest of the month for buying right. two t-shirts. But on the one hand, because they're so cheap, I'm like, oh my God, like 50 bucks goes yes. a long way. I have to use this 50 bucks. Like I have yeah. to use.
0: <laughs> okay. Do you remember the value village? It was like you get 50% off. So yeah. you could spend 60 bucks and only spend 30 they used to do that like every weekend and me and my friend Brenda we were there every weekend in the aisles <laughs> trying to get the discounts oh just bags and bags of clothes
1: yeah for sure I really wish thrift stores I wish we had a lot of thrift stores in Sudan we don't in Khartoum where I'm at the culture I mean we reuse clothes in the sense that like children for example children clothes are usually passed on Do right. so you give it to your cousin if it's not if your Hand son or your kid has like out how exactly so usually right. it's like that I get to wear my cousin's clothes my cousin gets to wear my other cousin's clothes it's totally fine but I think that for adults it's a little more difficult and Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a thrift store in Sudan. I have a friend, shout out to Hasna, if she's somewhere listening to this ever. She started a secondhand clothing thing in Sudan, and it's great. And she also has such a beautiful fashion sense. Like when I see the stuff, she's sewing. I'm like, girl, beautiful. Wow. But yeah, so she's doing it. But yeah, like when I was there those years, university days, like very hard to find secondhand clothing stores there's also a little bit of uh the classes thing going on in parts of khartoum my university is in khartoum it was in the bougie parts of khartoum even though i don't live in the bougie parts of the city i live in a very local neighborhood but the university that I go to the area is bougie so a lot of bougie kids are there and yeah there's this kind of classes culture of being like yeah you can't you can't buy or say that you're using secondhand things oh this, this right like a, Ew, kind of thing, like a little bit of a yeah, yeah, they're just like a lot of people find themselves too bougie to be declaring if they are wearing it, dec- declaring that you secondhand
0: things. Right. I watched a video that was talking about how all the companies are just like four different companies, so like Kellogg's, Nestle, all these brands, and so it's like an illusion of competition, right? And they were saying that. With this illusion of competition, the fact that it's not happening, they have to flip the competition onto the consumer. And I feel like that's the reason why it's like we are fighting for brands. Like we're like, oh yeah, I'd rather have a Pepsi than a Coke. I don't buy Nestle chocolate because of this. Like we are the ones like fighting each other and we're having all the discourse and it doesn't affect any of the companies. And that's kind of like why these company oligarchs companies are okay with the discourse yeah keeps them away from having to address anything
1: that yeah that makes total sense that makes total sense yeah Yeah. it's kind of like divide and conquer but like on a consumer level like you're gonna think pepsi is better than coke and then you're gonna fight about it for a while
0: exactly so then another way to win capitalism is to be so above it that it doesn't affect you. So I think on a flip side, it's almost like having money, but still being able to find things like secondhand. is like a badge of honor because it's like environmentally friendly and because it's like about creativity and it's about saving money, whatever. But really it's just not leaving clothes for actual poor people, like people who actually need the clothes.
1: Yes. Or
0: the thing that people do too is get clothes bigger than them and then they DIY it at home. So it's like a access issue there for fat people in the thrift yeah. store.
1: Shop in your own section. You know, the cute baggy. Yeah, that's true. These are definitely very valid points. Yeah.
0: So I wanted to... Wait, um,
1: not to break you. I do remember. I have actually... I lied. I have shopped at a second-hand place in sudan i just remembered oh it's God. actually the market it's durman market like durman where i'm from there's it's i think it's the largest market in the city it's just an open market but they would just dump clothes in this like big area just out in the open in and piles? Then uh, yes in piles and then you would just like take things out i've definitely done that multiple times i just Whoa. remembered
0: yes and right, sometimes like, i found market. cool stuff right No, yeah. When I volunteered at this place called Welcome Hall Mission, and we were cutting up carrots for the food bank, but that day, they had gotten a particularly bad batch. Like, we weren't supposed to be doing that, but then, like, they got this really bad batch of carrots, because what they do is they bring in carrots that are not acceptable for food for supermarkets, so Mm -hmm. it's a grade. Like C or lower or something like that and so we had to sort through those bags of carrots and some of them were so moldy that they were just like moldy carrot juice and so we'd throw out like full bags like full slates anyways it was very fun like I was laughing the whole time because I was with my friend Becky who I had met her on this trip we were laughing the whole time because we're like this is so nasty like we didn't know we were going to be doing this like I'll never eat a carrot again (laughs) um and then they let us shop in their little inmate. And they have yeah, a store. Yeah, they have a thrift it's store. It's not little. I know. I should have said yeah. little. It's not little. It's huge. not little. It's big, yeah. And everything there is like $2. Yeah. Not to blow up the spot. Don't go there. If you have more <laughs> than $2 to spend on clothes. Don't ever, 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 ever come by here. I used to go
1: because they provide services for refugee claimants. So I used to go there for the food bank when I just... Got here, and then I found out the secondhand boutique. Oh, I was so happy to see
0: that. Yeah, and they have soaps, they have all sorts of stuff. Yep, Welcome Home Mission is doing it for sure. But yeah, that day was just a really bad batch of carrots. That's why they brought (laughs) us there. There were some carrots that were perfectly like I could have eaten them unwashed. And yeah, we like sorted them into bags, and then those go out to food bank patrons. And one girl okay not a girl she was an elderly lady i think she was a patron of the store she came in to the volunteer area because that's where we were sitting to eat lunch and she was like hi and she was talking to us and she said you watch too much tv i can tell to me (laughs) to me. she said you watch too much tv i was like okay what was
1: the context like you just randomly happened (laughs) no
0: she just came up and she just read us about our lives i did watch too much tv and i do I continue to watch too much TV. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I watch enough TV. I'm too plugged into the realities of what's going on. <laughs> I wish I could watch more TV. All you I know. want is to watch Real Housewives. They don't have any real problems. Yeah. Earlier, I was talking about friend and fellow scholar. I don't know if I consider myself a scholar. <laughs> but their name is Nene Nke on... Instagram. And they just started like a journal and it's on a subscription basis. And they just said something really brilliant. Shopping is the only space in which I allow myself to experience trust and desire. The satisfaction of knowing the simple click of a button is all that stands between I want and I have is such great comfort a brief permission to exhale, to substitute outreached arms for noble fibers, to know I will be held and am the architect of a care that cannot be taken away from me. With each purchase, a deep exhale, followed by a rush of serotonin and adrenaline, quickened breath, already in search of new acquisitions, because a shelter built solely of cloth and leather must always be reinforced." So I really resonate with the idea of shopping is the only place where you can experience want and desire I feel like that really represents itself to me like in the ways that I choose to consume like shopping at 3 (laughs) a.m and then getting everything that I've uh, been putting off getting and so some of it's fun and some of it's like necessary and then I'm like oh my god I just spent so much money in one go but it's like no girl you should have been buying these things all along. Yeah.
1: And I find myself buying things that have just been in my cart for like two years and a half. I never had enough money to budget it, but I'm like, I'm definitely going to get this at some point. And then when I do a gig and I get like a little bit of money and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go buy the 16 things in my cart. Finally, they have been sitting there for two years.
0: Yeah. So I just felt like that quote is like really powerful. And I think like everything that they say is so like on point. It's so like deeply connected to the core of who we are as humans. And so how do you feel about this idea that a shelter built solely of cloth and leather must always be reinforced? Because I kind of see that in the cyclical nature of buying, getting, having to give away, needing again buying, getting, having to give away.
1: I think it's like as much as we are so aware of all of these things, I feel like because of how capitalism in general is so embedded into so many different layers of our lives, including our fashion sense, including our desire for more things, that it takes a lot of work. And it's again, I feel like it goes back to It's a lot of work to create those boundaries on an individual level where you're like, yes, I acknowledge that I do get the sense of this relief, of this comfort when I'm able to purchase things that I couldn't previously afford, or I could walk into a store without worrying if my credit card is going to decline, which is a very big thing Right. You you go to shop somewhere, but you're so restricted in terms of how much. But then when you finally have some financial stability and then you're like, oh, my God, I could just enter places and not worry about my declining. Wow. Like the freedom that I have right now. But in myself, I see those contradictions. And I think it's just because of how much we've entangled ourselves with the system and the system has really succeeded but I definitely think that we can get out of this. And I think that we are in a moment in, in our time in this world where there's a lot of movement that's happening. There's a lot of mobilization that's happening in so many parts of the world. And sometimes... It's hard to see the hope and it's hard to see that, hey, you know what, like we could be living in better systems, like better systems exist, better economic systems exist in this world. They have been practiced by many local communities in different parts of the world and they can exist on a larger scale. Like there are alternatives to this. And Mm -hmm yeah i don't know i just went on a very long spiel but yeah just consumerism is very much connected and the feelings that we get out of consumerism which again can come out of economic deprivation for many years out of issues of accessibility not finding your size and then finally finding a place where has all your size and you're like oh my god i'm gonna buy everything in here
0: yeah that's true because i just found a website called shawnee by nature And they're in Milwaukee, but she's not making any money off of it because it all goes back into reinvesting into the business, but it goes all the way up to size 7X or something. And they have actual sustainability initiatives that they follow through on because it's very local, but they are on Instagram. So obviously people are ordering internationally as well. And yeah, I think it can get very hard to see outside of yourself when capitalism is so individualistic right because a big part for me I guess of why the clothes feels like such a barrier is like I want to look how I feel inside Mm -hmm. which is a brace face line (laughs) and that's not the reality because sometimes I just have to get up and go I have to like throw something on and walk my dog and not having sizes of things that you actually like to wear so that every time you put something on your body it feels good is comfortable looks good you feel confident like that's just not always the case for me and I am such a perfectionist like I'm a type a person but like I do a lot of things to be type b because I know. Or I feel that like I will never reach the levels of perfectionism that I strive for because of ADHD. What was I saying?
1: (laughs) Perfectionism, which is also a neurodivergent thing, right? The perfectionism itself and recognizing.
0: Right. And we also talk about clothes like being an armor. So for me, I'm just like, I just want to have a look. I basically wish I was a cartoon character. I want to have a look. I want to rotate between three outfits. I want no one to think it's weird. Lizzie McGuire, you are an outfit repeater. I want the clothes to magically wash themselves by way of just being animated (laughs) every time. (laughs) Can the animator that's storyboarding my life get it together, please? So anyways, what's going on in Sudan?
1: Yes, so Sudan. I am from Sudan. I'm from... Umdurman, which is a city in Khartoum, the capital city. So there's been a lot going on. Sudan has basically been in an ongoing revolution since 2018, since December 2018. It started in different parts of the country as a result of austerity measures that the government was Putting in place, this is the previous regime of Omar al-Bashir, who's been in power since 1989. Basically, people just couldn't afford to live at that point. This is still the economic condition is actually worse at this point. But back then, um, it got really difficult. Prices of basic things, transportation, fuel prices have gone up, so everything else has gone up with it. Even bread, and bread in Sudan is a staple. We eat bread predominantly in all of our meals. There are other staples too, but bread is one of the main things that we eat and so people couldn't afford to buy things anymore like basic livelihood they couldn't afford to buy food they couldn't afford to get medication and school children has actually had like high school students had a big part of this because they couldn't buy their lunch when they previously would just go to the shops near the school and would buy sandwiches falafel sandwiches or whatever Mm -hmm. but they couldn't afford to do that anymore And so they took it to the streets. So at the early on of the revolution, the demands were for the economic situation, but it is very quickly turned into demands against the regime itself and basically calling for the then president to resign and step down. The early months of the revolution were extremely difficult. This regime has been in power, as I said, since 1989. They have used up all of the country's resources on security and military stuff and policing for the largest part so it was a very hard battle for people to be in the streets with no ammunition with no weapons with nothing and to face military presence in their streets snipers and things like that So it was very difficult. The first few months of the revolution were very bloody. There was a lot of killing that was going on in the streets. And eventually, the then president at the time was toppled in February 2019. And then, since then, there's been a formation that happened between the forces that were supposed to be representing the civilian side, the protesters, the people. They were called the forces of freedom and change. And this was basically various political opposition political parties coming together and forming something. And so they had signed a power sharing deal with the military. And then we just got stuck in this mess since then. This deal wasn't going to work out. A lot of people have called it out from the beginning. Essentially, the military was supposed to have the upper hand for like 21 months, and then they would pass it on to the civilian side of the government and this is supposed to be all leading towards an election after this three-year period that didn't work out for many reasons but obviously coming into an agreement where there is an obvious person or an obvious side with more power and more influence and more support from other forces is not the best situation to go into and a few weeks from the military was supposed to like hand more of the authority to the civilian side they decided that they're gonna do a coup instead of doing that which is also very predictable but yeah so in october of last year they did a coup the military side this is general Abdel fattah al-burhan alongside with general himeti who is a well-known warlord responsible for many genocides in Sudan. But they're the two people, along with other opposition armed forces that have joined the military coup. And yeah, that has been the formation. And since this coup happened, people have been protesting almost on a daily basis all over the country. Nobody asked for this. Nobody wants this. Especially coming from a period of being under a dictatorship since 1989, And people finally realizing that, hey, like we have so much power, we can do what we want, this is our country, we can finally have all our demands being met and we can form the country that we want to see like a lot of young people dreaming of how they want this new Sudan to be formed, and then having that sort of cut out by the mediation process and the negotiation process that happened that led to the power-sharing deal and then to the coup. Yeah, first of all, a lot of these political parties that have signed on unto this deal to begin with, weren't fully representing what the street wants. And that's why there's a very important component of this, which are neighborhood resistance committees in Sudan. These are committees that are based on every neighborhood. They have... Um, regional formations, but they're very decentralized. So every neighborhood would have a resistance committee. The resistance committees basically are in charge of mobilizing and organizing people, getting people out in the streets, especially in times where internet is shut off or things like that. The resistance committees have had a very important role in this revolution, I would say more than any other presence um, because they are really the people in the neighborhoods coming together, deciding how they want to form resistance, what demands do they want to get? and done mistakes throughout the way, but I think they come a long way. and now they've we have different political charters that are coming out of the formulations of resistance committees. and they have really stood their grounds in terms of not wanting to have any negotiations because since the coup happened, a lot of the international community, the UN, the EU, troika all these different formulations we're pressing for people to sit down with the military and come to a dialogue reach to agreements together which is like we're back to square one again like we knew that didn't happen we had an agreement it didn't work out so it makes zero sense for people to go back again to that thing and so a lot of these bodies are pushing this as the only solution or even calling Sudanese people as unrealistic for not wanting to sit down with the very same people who are murdering them in the streets, you know? So honestly, gaslighting on a massive scale that was happening by these institutions and forces towards the Sudanese people and towards what people want and what people stand for. And the stance on the street has always been very clear. No negotiations, no partnerships, no legitimacy of this military coup. Um, And yeah, a few days ago, General Burhan made a speech on TV where he said, this was after the June 30th protest, very massive nationwide protest. And so after these protests, he came on TV and he said that the military is basically stepping down from the daily uh, administrative roles in the country and sticking to their military side of things.
0: I thought it was like, we're slaughtering you in the streets. There's just no paperwork for it anymore. Like, What?
1: I mean, yeah, too. Yes, too. That too. But really the caveat to this is that they say, oh, we're going to leave it to you. But you people need to form an agreement. You people need to come together. And this is you, the people, the different political parties that are existing. You all need to get together, figure something out. We're going to leave it to you. But we have no track record for us to believe them in any way. There's always a caveat in what they want to do. There's always conditions in what they want to do. So people in the streets have remained the same way. People are resisting. They don't care about this speech because it doesn't, we don't believe. People don't believe the military anymore. Uh, And today it was the Women's March in Sudan. Um, There's been a lot of issues in terms of feminist demands in the revolution, conversations and incidents that lead to conversations that a lot of people didn't want to happen for a long time. Conversations around how women are treated in public spaces and even within the movement, how women are treated. And also there's been some femicide cases that were in the media a couple of weeks ago. I mean, femicide is, you know, it's a constant daily thing. Sometimes we hear things in the media, but most of the times we don't know, but it's there on a daily level. But yeah, the, that was there too in regards to the femicide and also in regards to making sure that the revolution is also inclusive of feminist demands and intersectional realities of people. Yes. So that happened today. I saw some videos. It looked absolutely powerful and beautiful. And just shout out to all the Sudani feminists like doing the work on the ground, really strong women. Sometimes when I think I'm very upset that I was not in Sudan during this time, Of the revolution. But I also remember the family constraints of even being able to protest, at least in my family, and I know other families too. It's so hard for women to even be able to protest.
0: Right. You have
1: to really plot this for like how do you go? What time are you coming back? What are you going to tell your parents? You know, and I know people who this is a violent process for them, just being able to hide from their family and then the repercussions that come once your family find out that you were protesting right? So that's why I have mad respect for feminists in Sudan. I know how hard it is to be doing what they're doing in a place that really has no place for you, really. But you're taking that space, yeah? You are deserving of the space and you will take it whether people accept it or not. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's also like on a global scale, right? Like the gender violence is global. It's not specific to Sudan, but it exists. It exists. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. God! Watching this as somebody who I'm not from Sudan and I didn't have very many Sudanese friends growing up but watching this as somebody who is just introduced to this now as a result of having extra time of the pandemic where I can watch Instagram and like know what people are talking about is wild because it really is women on the ground doing all of the minutiae and doing the archiving and all these things basically finding ways to make themselves a part of the process while also having this restriction of perceived differences of gender and every time I see something I'm like okay I'm stuck between two things because on one end I'm like we could learn from this and be real about our protests I feel like the global north There are a lot of people who don't know how to protest. They don't understand that like a movement takes a lot of low, methodical action. And another good person to listen to on Instagram is BS on Blast.
1: Shout out, Sarah Al-Hassan. Always doing dope stuff. Like, Sarah amazing. Big shout out.
0: Yes. And so she has daily recaps. And obviously there are hundreds of them now yes but go watch them get in yeah she
1: does a smaller version of the recap on her twitter account
0: and she does it in both in arabic and english yeah Yeah. and then if you are like oh wow that was really heavy to watch hundreds of videos about what's going on in sudan like you can go listen to her podcast because she started a solo podcast where she talks about this soap opera in sudan it's and hilarious I, I, it's so funny I've never seen the show I don't know what she's talking about I do not speak Arabic so she'll be speaking in English she'll be like this was so crazy guys and then she did this and then just a bunch of words I don't understand and I'm like no that's the meat that's the <laughs> juice of the podcast <laughs> so I was like Sarah you have to do it in English <laughs> yeah it's a
1: podcast it's called Gultilational it.
0: you know, uh, which is
1: like a, it's what did you say to me in student arabic yes
0: that's good that's a good one yeah i don't even really know what the show she's talking about is about i just love her recaps
1: yeah that was a show that was done in ramadan
0: ramadan is
1: a spiritual month for sure but also (laughs) a month with very heavy entertainment so like tv dramas you know everywhere specifically done for Ramadan. But this show was, I think, done Mm -hmm. for Ramadan. I haven't watched, so I watched clips of it and all the clips that I watched, I was just laughing the whole time because I'm like, what is going on? But Sarah does a really good review about it.
0: (laughs) Uh, It reminds me of like, well, I think maybe because Roe v. Wade got overturned and so I'm seeing a lot of mobilization of Jewish women in the States. Mm -hmm. And it was Jewish women who initially advocated for secular education for secular women you know because they were asking for it for themselves so they were like come with us hold our hands together so it highlights for me that we should not be erasing the voices of women who are doing work and it's also a powerful reminder to remember who is standing beside you when you we're doing that work. And also the classic Black Lives Matter all around the world. You know, we're all connected.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When I talk about the Sudanese revolution, I always try to bring it back to that too, of understanding that goals are very much connected. So the level of violence that happens to protesters on the streets by the state is very much connected to the global movement of heavy militarization, heavy policing, and also just global imperialism, because a lot of frustrations that happen in countries due to economic reasons, various reasons, happen as a result of neoliberal policies that have been existing in in countries forcefully many times um, that completely destabilize the economic situations in countries which eventually lead to revolts and people just being fed up so this is all really extremely connected i don't think we can separate what's happening in sudan than what's happening to the rest of african countries that are going through different forms of colonization due to you know mineral extractions and other forms which also happens in sudan but it's very connected all of these issues yeah
0: a lot of people know there's a lot of mineral extraction that happens in sudan
1: Oh, yeah. Mineral extractions in Sudan, but in all of other parts in Africa. And did you know that Canada, I believe that Canada has the most mining companies in Africa?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I did know that. (laughs) Yeah, I've known for a long time. Very connected to here. Yes, that's an interesting point that you bring up, because talking about different countries and what sort of power they wield, like Canada has a lot of soft power. And a lot of hard power. So the difference is, hard power is things like education, the military, borders, those kind of things. And then soft power is, how are you perceived in the world? So Canada, a lot of people say it's like the theme park above a meth lab. How I've seen it described. Kind of like the neighbors to the north. Anyways, Canada has a lot of soft power so they can get away with doing a lot of bullshit. So... I'm not surprised that they have companies. I
1: mean, yeah, I think the only thing I would leave people with is see that, again, all struggles are connected. It's Mm -hmm. important to keep up with struggles that are happening, not just in Sudan, but in other parts of the world. And to understand that it is not separated from where you are right now. We are in a global system that is very connected. And the more we understand that, the more we can realize the local organizing that's happening around you and how this local organizing can affect a lot of what's happening in the world on a larger scale but also like very important to honor your body and honor yourself and know when to keep your boundaries i've had to really learn that the hard way throughout this revolution and i think a lot of people have and still keep hope with all this mess that's happening i really love what mariam kaba says about hope hope is a discipline Like, it's something that you practice. You believe in hope. That's what you do. It's a practice. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: you just got to keep believing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, we're looking for a Hey You sugar person. We need a Hey You account. And we do not want to give Andy Cohen more money. Yes. Please reach out
1: to us. You can support us in our quest to watch more Real Housewives
0: content. I've just been microdosing them on YouTube in six or seven minute clips. Yes. Also Pirate we can't live both. like this.
1: We need to see the whole thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Please. Uh, <laughs> we're too exhausted, black femmes. This won't we rest.
1: We're just looking for a reality TV sugar
0: person. Like I'm yearning for that escapism.
1: We are indeed. And that is
0: how we cope. Personally, yeah. this is how Paige and I go. Please support. <laughs> send money, send hope. Okay, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Do hi. Love you. I love you too. This was so fun.